0: It is uh, good to be back uh, with you. Thank you for your your prayers uh, from being sick last week. And uh, thank you also to just the entire uh, pastoral team. Uh, we, uh, we really are blessed as a church, and I'm just very thankful that we have the team that we do. And in times like that, uh, to just be able to lean upon them. And so grateful for Pastor Nick uh, sharing Uh, the message, and then just the rest of the team coming together. And thank you again uh, to the elders and to those of you who are a part of this thank you that we saw this morning uh, for all of us as pastors. We're thankful for that. And we really are appreciative of the fact that we get to uh, be uh, a pastor of this particular congregation. And uh, so we really are grateful for the opportunity that we have to serve the Lord and to serve all of you. And it sincerely is our desire to be faithful to God in that. As we continue in our in our service today, um, after singing and the different things that you've already been hearing, we want to now uh, open the word of God, uh, teach the word of God, preach it, and uh, raise it up before us as a church as our authority. And that's one of the things that we do. And my hope every week is, uh, is that you would come with, a, uh, with an understanding that the word of God is your authority in your life and that you would submit to it uh, because there are always parts of our lives that are seeking to take authority over the word of God. And so uh, we're going to continue in a series, uh, Ruined, uh, a biblical understanding of sin. And uh, that's, uh, that's the title, that's what we've been working through, and uh, today as we continue in this series, we're going to be looking at Satan, uh, the ancient serpent as described in our text and as you just heard it read for you. We're going to learn a little bit more uh, about him and just how, uh, what the scripture teaches us uh, in relation to, to Satan, his ways, and things that we all need to learn ourselves we are, uh, and, you know, the timing of this is is sometimes it's it works out in ways that I don't really plan for, uh, but but God does. Uh, you know, we're a week away from Halloween, um, and uh, it's just interesting that here's you know here's what it is that we're talking about. It's it's not my necessarily my favorite day of the year. I think my mom kind of instilled that in into me and all of us as as kids. It wasn't hers, so she let us know that. Um, but I, I have to say that every year I'm, I'm almost more and more amazed at the way that our neighborhood uh, and, and, you know, if, probably maybe even in your neighborhood kind of decorates for this day. Uh, there, there's one house now um, in our neighborhood, and I say this at the risk of my neighbor having, actually having been here this morning, uh, of which I will be apologizing at the end of the message. But it, this house is legitimately scary to me. Uh, there's this giant Grim Reaper, and I mean giant, it's like 20 feet high, overlooking their their, their doorway. There's a circle of witches around a cauldron uh, in some sort of evil seance. There's skeletons uh, kind of carrying a coffin. There's tombstones all over, and at night, this house legitimately scares me. I don't want to be anywhere, anywhere near it, and I'm kind of that, that way, but... But you know, you, you've probably seen you know, similar houses like that. I, I found this picture online, we can put it up here. Uh, th- this is a house, I, just a picture that I found of, of one. It's not as scary actually as the one that's in, in, in my neighborhood, but it gives you an example of, of just the, I guess, uh, the, the, the degrees uh, that we'll go to to kind of exemplify this particular day. And 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 why you know why am I why am I talking about that? Well, in our study today, we're going to be learning more about the one being who rules over the areas of sin, of evil, of witchcraft, of demonic activity. And and my purpose in doing this as it has been from the very beginning is to do so biblically. And so this is not a Hollywood version. Um, and it's not even according to the decorations that are in our neighborhood. You know, this isn't that. That's not what we're doing. We're not looking at this from that perspective. We want to understand this biblically, and as we continue to understand sin biblically, we also need to understand who Satan is. We need to understand what he does. We need to understand how it is that it, he affects us. And again, we need to do this in a biblical way. And so that's, our, that's my hope today. And uh, my hope is that you will learn more uh, about your enemy, but at the same time, not for the purpose of making you afraid or fearful, um, but for the purpose of helping you to be equipped Because that is what also we're going to see today. So would you pray with me and just ask God to lead us? Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you that you are the one and the only true God. There is no other God like you. There are no others who can match you. And even as we talk of our enemy today, may, may it not be to the point of putting him in the place of our God. We're so thankful to you for that, God. But help us to learn the things that you have revealed to us in your word and in scripture, because you've put it there for us for a reason. So give us ears to hear, hearts to understand. And let us recognize that we truly are, there is truly a supernatural battle that goes around, that that is happening around us. And you desire for us to be prepared for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start with a clear a biblical understanding of who Satan is. And, and so the way I want to do that is I actually found a, uh, a definition uh, that came from my evangelical dictionary of theology. And it defines Satan in this way. It, it says, he is the devil, a high angelic creature who, before the creation of the human race, rebelled against the creator and became the chief antagonist of God and humanity. So this would be what I would consider probably a more academic um, understanding and it's all true and, and, and right. And, and so what, what we see here is that Satan was, and, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, he was an angelic being first, one of the strongest, most powerful, most beautiful angels in heaven, but he rebelled against God. And he was cast out of heaven and a number of other angels followed him. Now we would recognize those other angels as his demonic force. And so this description here is true and, it's, and it is accurate, but it is also far from comprehensive. And so in order, in order for us to be more comprehensive today in our understanding, what, I, what I'd like to do is dig a little deeper. And, and to have you see that as we do. Before going any further, I want to add some more depth to our understanding. And I want to do that by giving you first some descriptions of who Satan is not. I think sometimes when we understand what things are not, it helps us to actually understand better what they actually are. So here are three theological truths declaring who Satan is not that I hope will be helpful to you. First, Satan is not all-powerful. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-knowing. He's not omniscient. And he's not all-present. He's not omnipresent. He's, he's not God. <laughs> and, and we need to understand that. He doesn't possess the attributes of God. He has limitations and i think too often as christians i think we're the ones who do this the most actually as believers we attribute to satan things that may not in fact be satan at all and and so this is again to be helpful to us to understand who he is from a biblical perspective he doesn't have the power that god does he doesn't have the knowledge and the wisdom that god does he knows things in your past because he's probably, especially if they're sinful things, because he's probably been a part of those things happening in your life. And he remembers, but he doesn't know the future of all things going to happen to you tomorrow and the, and the day after like God does. God knows all things. He doesn't know everything. And, and so we need to understand that. He doesn't have this, this omniscience that, that God does or power. Or, and he's not everywhere at once. If Satan is attacking me and his focus is on me, his focus is on me and it can't be on everybody else at the same time. Now he uses his demonic force in that way, but we do need to understand and not give him an omnipresent or, or, or this all present attribute. So let's keep this in mind As we continue to dig deeper, the way I'm looking at this message today is I'm going to be adding pieces on little by little. And as we do, you're, you're, we're going to be adding more and more to, to your comprehension of who he is. There are many approaches that I uh, could have taken with this study today. and, And the way that I decided to approach it was to study it categorically. And, and so what we're going to do is we're going to look at five specific categories to understand our enemy better. And we're going to do so using several different texts, but two will be our primary texts. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, and then the one you heard read this morning, Revelation 12, 7 through 11. They'll be our primary texts, but we'll also be looking at a few others as well. So I want to start actually with First Peter 5 Eight and nine. So I want to read that. If you're, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, uh, and it'll also be on the screen for you. Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So this is the apostle Peter here writing to the saints, living as exiles in Asia Minor, and he's warning them about our our enemy. And he's giving them some specific warning. And again, I mentioned that the next text is Revelation 12, which again, we just heard uh, read for us. And that, that text speaks of future events. It speaks of events that actually have not yet occurred, even as we sit here today, but they will occur. And, and what you need to understand and what I need to understand is that these events will occur as sure as we are here today. We need to believe that. We don't read of these events that are going to happen and hope that they happen. We read of them as prophecy that they will happen our faith is in god and in his word so the five categories that we're going to look at today are these we're going to look at his titles his descriptions his tactics his vulnerabilities and his future and so let's start with the titles that are attributed to this creature of evil we'll start with his titles starting again with revelation 12 we see in revelation 12:9 that he is called the devil and he is called Satan. We see that in verse 9. And the word devil comes from the word diabolos. It means slanderer, defamer, false accuser. And 1 Peter 5 eight also uses that same term as a title, the devil. Satan is a Hebrew word. And that means adversary. So this devil, Satan, is our adversary. So, so we're, again, we're building, right? We're, we're biblically building an understanding of, of who he is. He is adversarial towards us and towards God. So the two main titles of this evil creature are Satan and the devil. And these are not made up titles, this is this is where I think we've got to be careful. He's he is a very real evil being that seeks to bring evil upon each one of us. This is this is not something fake that we're talking about. He's real, and the evil that he brings is real, and and he is not to be confused with fake decorations on a lawn. And I think sometimes that can happen to us. We can, we can, we can almost make it like, like it's make-believe. And, and, in, and in so doing, we're, we're not being prepared as we should. And then we're not going to be able to battle sin as we should. So these are are his titles, Satan and the devil. Now, the second category that I want to move to are his descriptions, because not only does the Bible give us his titles, but it gives us many descriptions. And again, starting with Revelation 12, Satan and the devil are given two specific descriptions. So let's look and see what they are. Verse 7, 12, 7. In Revelation, now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels, so Michael, that's a reference to the archangel Michael, is fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. The devil, Satan, is being described here. So this is a description as the dragon. And in verse 9, he's called the great dragon. And yes, you should probably imagine a fire-breathing dragon. You know, don't don't picture this nice fluttery bird. You know, tw- you, know you know, singing a nice song. the, 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 the imagery is is intended, superintended by the Holy Spirit, to give us the right thought. You know, think uh, for 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 the Tolkien fans. You know, think think smog. You know, think, think that kind of, of, of dragon. We, we need to remember again that these, these biblical descriptions carry meaning. They're meant to instill in us a better understanding, a better understanding of who our enemy is and how he operates. So think, think great fire breathing dragon bent on our destruction. That's a description. But he's also given another description in verse 9. What is it? That ancient serpent. He's described as that ancient serpent. And so although Revelation 12 is is going into the future, talking about something that has not yet happened in that reference as the great dragon, now it reaches back into history. That ancient serpent should bring you back to Eden. Eden. The garden. This great dragon of Revelation 12 is the ancient serpent of Genesis 3. They're one in the same. And so now a fuller description is coming into view, but a biblical one. What descriptions are given of him in 1 Peter 5? Well, in 1 Peter 5, and again, if you want, you may want to have both of these kind of in your Bible with a finger in each so you can quickly look but I'll also have it come up on the screen so you can see. But he's described as our adversary in 1 Peter 5. That's a description. Again, he is adversarial towards us in all that he does. His intention is to be our adversary. So God is described as for us, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? Our enemy is described as against us. So even when he offers you what you want, he doesn't offer it to you because he is for you. He offers it to you because he's against you. We've got to remember that. He is our adversary. And this is again what is being described here. He's also described as a roaring lion in First Peter five. Now let's go, let's again be good expositors here in in, in reading the text because in First Peter five he is like a roaring lion. He's not he's not he's not being we're not being told he is a lion which in Revelation 12, we are being told he is a dragon and he is the ancient serpent. But in First Peter 5, he is like a roaring lion. So why a roaring lion? Why not just a lion? Why a roaring lion? Well, a lion roars to cause fear, to cause panic. Look at this. Picture here, this, this will cause you some fear and panic if this, were, if this animal were up close near you. But that's why they roar, to cause panic, chaos. The four big cats that, that roar are, are lions, leopards, tigers, and jaguars, and, and all roar to let every creature in hearing distance know they're there. I'm here. And if you hear this roar, you are in my territory. And I'm letting you know this is my territory. I'm claiming territory. The roar of a lion can reach his eyes 114 decibels. That's really loud. And they can roar as many as 50 times in 90 second intervals. That is a lot of roaring but for what purpose so this is again we're not trying to learn about lions uh, you know this is not zoology this this is about our enemy but the description is meant to help us learn about him so what is the purpose of the roar fear fear the roar is intended to cause you to fear, to stop it, right? If you're, if you're walking, if you're on a safari and all of a sudden, you know, some, an animal comes around the, uh, this bush and you can't really see it and you see that and it roars, you're gonna stop, right? You're not gonna go, oh, what was that? Oh, it was so cute. <laughs> you're gonna stop dead. The enemy, the enemy, our enemy roars, like a lion. And when a lion roars, it is telling its enemy to flee, to run, to give up territory or else. And this adversary of ours, he's like a roaring lion. He roars to cause fear. 1 John 3 8 tells us a little bit more, and some other passages tell us a little bit more about this adversary. He's not just a roaring lion. He's more, much more. First John 3, 8 says that he's been sinning from the beginning. Another description. These are descriptions. It's, we're getting a fuller understanding here. John eight forty four tells us that he has nothing to do with truth. No truth being in him. No truth. None. Empty of truth, the identifying mark of our enemy is a lack of truth. That should say something to us about our value for truth as Christians. 2 Corinthians eleven forty four describes him as an angel of light because sometimes this lion that roars can come as a purring kitten but his intention remains the same. He's against you. Ephesians 2.2 2 describes him as the prince of the power of the air. Matthew 13, Jesus described him as the evil one. And so again, as we continue here biblically, we're getting a much fuller understanding and description of our enemy. Now, what about his tactics. Let's look now at this third category of tactics again as described in scripture and again staying with our two main texts what are his tactics. Keep keep this in mind and this will this should make sense to you because of what we've talked about over the past several weeks. All of his tactics are aimed at your sinful desires which is why you must be active in seeking to have them killed in you. His tactics expose, expose your indwelling sin. That's what he's trying to do. So this is why we we this is why we talked about and where we started where we started. It's why we didn't start with the enemy and the and the devil as if that's our main issue. We we have to, we have to deal with things because there's things he's specifically seeking to do. One of the things that you have to realize, and I think we get this wrong a lot with with Satan and even uh, the enemy and the world, is. We look at Satan like he is trying to bring sin into us when in reality, what he's really trying to do is bring sin out of us. That's already there. That's, that's not being dealt with and he's gonna pull it out and he's gonna bring it out as he, as he does what he does. And we're gonna see a little bit more about these tactics. So again, looking at 1 Peter 5, we see that he prowls. He is a prowler. Again, this is connected to his lion description. He prowls like a lion. He lurks. He is watching. And when you are a prowler and you lurk, you're mo- sometimes you're out of sight. You're not necessarily looking to be seen. You're out of sight, but he's looking for his opportunity to pounce. When are you weakest? When are you most susceptible? When, are, when is your guard not up? When are you frustrated? When are you aggravated? When are you, when are you angry? Because he's gonna bring some things in your life and then he is going to pounce. That is what he is waiting for. He's a prowler. He also, again, roars, as I mentioned earlier. This is one of his tactics. This is the more in your face tactic, the roaring. And again, it is one that is defined designed to, to bring fear into your life, I, I can tell you this. If fear and anxiety are difficulties for you, you can be sure that Satan is roaring in your life. He's roaring and he is seeking t- for you to respond with fear and despair. He wants you to run. He wants you to hide and he wants you to give up ground. He wants you to think you're alone, that there's no one to help you and that you are his prey. He roars, but what else? That's not all that Peter tells us. He devours. He doesn't just prowl, he doesn't just roar, he devours. He has an end game in mind and it is your destruction. It is our destruction. That's just first Peter. What does Revelation 12 tell us about his tactics? Well, we see in verse 9 that he is the deceiver of the whole world in Revelation 12. He is a deceiver. This is his primary tactic. His primary tactic is deception. And he is so good at it that the entire world is deceived, is what we see here in Revelation 12. He is a deceiver. But then we also see in verse 10 that he's an accuser. He hurls accusations against the saints and he brings those accusations before God. Seeking to make us seem unworthy of God and of the salvation that God has granted to us. And maybe this is a tactic that he uses on you. He tries to label you with an identity. But it's an accusatory identity. It's not an identity that's rooted in Christ. It's an identity that is rooted in your sin. It's an identity that's rooted in your shame. It's an identity that's rooted in your past. It's an identity that's rooted in something you struggle with. And these accusations can be powerful weapons in his hands. And he uses these accusations to make us believe that we are someone that we're not. Right? Isn't that what he does? He's like, I'm going to try to make you believe that you're someone that you actually aren't, but I can make you believe that you are (laughs) through these accusations. When we believe an accusation of Satan against us, I want to put this here on the screen for you to see so it sinks in for you we're always believing a lie and rejecting truth about God, who God says we are in Christ. When, when, when Satan is hurling his accusations against you, he's probably, it, was probably, it was probably already happening. You, you, you've, you know what I'm talking about. When we believe those accusations, we are believing lies that are not rooted in who we are in Christ. But he also uses other tactics. He disguises himself, uh, according to 2 Corinthians 11, 14. So he's a disguiser. He will disguise. He tempts us, according to 1 Corinthians 7. He schemes against us, Ephesians 6. He schemes against us means he watches us, and he sees where your weaknesses are. He sees where you're most vulnerable, and then he attacks that. It's... It's very evil and insidious. He outwits us, Second Corinthians 2. You know what that means? Don't, don't try to outwit Satan. The, the scripture doesn't say we outwit him. It says he outwits us. So we're not, we're not trying to go toe-to-toe with him. We're trying to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit and the things that God has called us to do, but we're not trying to outwit him. And he entraps us. He lays traps. He lays snares out. He says, let's see how they do with this. Let's see if they fall into this one. Let's see if they fall into that one. And he lays them out. So his tactics are many and they are powerful. Now I want you to notice something. Notice that scripture gives us descriptions of his tactics. But you notice that the scripture doesn't give us us descriptions of his appearance. You know, doesn't, nowhere did, did Peter say, if you see a guy in a red suit with a pitchfork and he's got horns, run. That's how we like to try to imagine things. That's not what the scripture does. The scripture is saying to you and to me, <clears throat> I'm trying not to get too excited because if I get excited, my voice is going to go. The scripture is trying to say, that we are to know who he is not by some artist rendering, not by Hollywood, not by decorations on a lawn, but by his tactics. His tactics reveal his identity. And that's why the scripture is laden with, here are the tactics, believers. Pay attention. Now to the fourth category. He's also vulnerable. What are his vulnerabilities? He is vulnerable. You could look at these vulnerabilities as his kryptonite, as kryptonite is to Superman. These are vulnerabilities to this ancient serpent. So let's stay with our main text first. According to 1 Peter 5, 8, he is vulnerable to sober-minded, watchful saints. Be sober-minded, verse 8, and be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. So so what is Peter's remedy for the adversarial prowler? Be sober-minded and be watchful. That's his remedy. And this is a vulnerability. And we've seen this before. We've talked about this Two weeks ago, we talked about this because Jesus said the same thing about temptation. He said, watch, watch and pray. So we are to be spiritually alert. And this goes back to to what we've been talking about within dwelling sin. Spiritually alert people aren't aren't ignorant of of the things that are going on within them. They are aware and they're they're aware of it and they're doing something about it in the power and the strength of, of the Holy Spirit. So we're spiritually alert, we're vigilant against sin, we're watchful, we're, we're, we avoid spiritual laziness. You can. I'm not gonna tell you what that is. Ask yourself, what does spiritual laziness look like in my life? And, and when you list some things, do something about it because that's not being watchful, which means you are prey. Spiritual drowsiness even. You know, it can't be tolerated. Mental intoxication. Things that we do to kind of just, I don't want to think about anything. I, I just kind of want my mind to go blank and numb. And, and you know, we, there's a lot of that talk in the culture today, but that is not sober mindedness. Think about it. You are sober minded not mentally intoxicated with something else. This is, this is what we are called to be in response to our enemy. What else is he vulnerable to? First Peter 5, 9, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. He is vulnerable to holy resistance. Both 1 Peter 5, 9 and James 4, 7 tell us the same thing. He can be resisted. Yes, amen. We need to remember that. He is vulnerable to spirit-filled resistance. Not not fleshly, I'm gonna... uh, you know, not, Satan's not going to win today. You know, I've been doing my push-ups and whatever. Like, you're not going to fight him that way. You're, it, you, you need to be spiritually prepared. He's also vulnerable to saints who stand firm in their faith. Saints of God who believe and trust that what God says, what God offers is true and right. And what Satan offers is a lie. It's deceitful. Firm in your faith means that when the enemy roars, when circumstances go bad, when the things that you're praying for don't happen and the things that you pray to actually happen don't happen, you don't go, well, that's it. I, I'm done. I don't, I, my, my faith is, is shot. That's, that's, that's not being firm in your, in your faith. That's allowing circumstances to determine what, what your faith is like. No, your faith is in God and what God has said and who he is and what he has revealed. And those circumstances don't determine what you believe. You actually view those circumstances through the lens now of who God is. So we need to be firm in our faith What about Revelation 12? What is he vulnerable to according to Revelation 12? He's vulnerable according to Revelation 12 (coughs) to saints washed in the blood of the lamb. Why is he vulnerable to that? Because the blood of the lamb is what cleanses us of what? Sin. This is what it comes back to. A saint, a biblical understanding of a saint is someone who's been washed and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And they're not seeking ways to sin, they're seeking ways to have sin killed in them by the blood of the Lamb. I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. What else is he vulnerable to? Saints who are faithful and testify to God's saving work in them saints who are faithful and testify to God's saving work in them. You see that in verse 11. By the word of their testimony, the testimony of saints of God who were faithful to him to the very end. Even losing their life in the process. But they stayed faithful to God. And by their testimony of their faithfulness in God and what it is that Christ has done for them in and through the cross, in and through the empty tomb. And speaking that testimony, he's vulnerable to that. He has no answer. There's no answer for that. So saints washed in the blood of the lamb, saints who are faithful and testify to God's saving work in them. Fifth category is his future. His future. What does Revelation 12 tell us about the future of this great dragon, this ancient serpent? Verse 9, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And again, this is something that is yet to come, but he will be thrown down. In fact, John tells us this three times in that verse. And then he tells us again in verse 10. This devil, the adversary will be thrown down and God will be doing the throwing and the ancient serpent will be getting thrown. This is what, this is what the text tells us. He also, he will be conquered verse 11 and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb. And by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. These are the saints of God that persevered and were faithful to the end. Again, as I mentioned earlier, even through the destruction of the end of the age, as there's reference to that in Revelation 12, the future of this great dragon, this ancient serpent is a future of being conquered, conquered by the blood of the lamb the conquering holy blood of Jesus. Revelation 20 tells us of another throwing down in Revelation 20, 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is his guaranteed future. This, this is re- referring to after the 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ, he will be thrown down forever. His guaranteed future is to be thrown into the lake of fire and, uh, fire and sulfur, where he and his legions will be tormented day and night forever. Again, what you need to believe to be firm in your faith is that this is a guaranteed future. For him. So, yes, our enemy is strong. He is powerful. He has titles like Satan, the devil. He's described as our adversary, the evil one. He has tactics that we need to be aware of. He prowls, he roars, he devours, he deceives, he accuses, he schemes, he outwits, he tempts, he entraps. But those tactics are aimed at your weaknesses, the sin that so easily entangles you. But he is vulnerable to the saints that are sober-minded and watchful, to saints that know what it means to be washed in the blood of the lamb. So my encouragement to you today is this. Remember that he is a defeated enemy, and that he can be resisted. Stand firm in your faith. The faith, when I say in your faith, I mean the faith that you have in your God and what it is that your God has done for you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying it's, it's, it's you that you're, that you're trusting. It's in what God has done for you and in who your God is. But remember, he's a defeated enemy and his tactics can be resisted when he tempts you which again we've seen from the scripture he tempts all he can offer you is temporary why well because his future is known he he knows that he's he's conquered but he's going to do everything he can until that day to bring as much destruction as he can into your life to my life to lives of others We need to remember he's a conquered foe, conquered by the blood of the lamb. He will be thrown down. He will be thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur. And these, these should just be motivations for us to continue to do the work that we're called to do in our hearts and in our minds. Where there's sinful desires there that we're saying, if I don't do something about these desires... If I don't do something about it, if I don't give this over to God, I'm just giving my enemy an opportunity, my adversary an opportunity to attack there. And he's prowling and he's waiting for that opportunity. I wanted to close with a hopeful doxology. This is from Revelation 1, 5 and 6. I'll put up here on the screen. I'll read it and we can just take it in. But to him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood. There it is again. And made us a kingdom, priests, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you, Lord, that even when it comes to our enemy, you have not been silent. You've, you've given us truth. What we understand of him is not to come from the world. It's not to come from Hollywood versions or whatever some uh, artist would think or whatever anybody would think, but from what God has revealed in his word. And we have a very powerful, wise and smart enemy that knows how to exploit our weaknesses. Help us, Lord, to resist him, to stand firm in our faith. Help us to be sober-minded and watchful as you've called us to be. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for the fact that we are washed by the blood of the lamb. And help us to understand what that means. Saints of God, who are now saints because they have been washed, recognize that their lives are, not, are no longer to be, live in submission to sin. But Lord, help us to continue to do the work that we need to, to have sin killed in us. That mortifying work. We thank you again for your word and your truth. We give you the praise and the glory that we serve a victorious, overcoming God. In Jesus' name, amen.